You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Shouldn't you be at work? When the seagull follows the trawler, it's because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. I'll have a low-fat pizza or something like that or a few biscuits and some milk on a Sunday. You can pair up if you like and you can fucking pick someone else to help you and you can bring your fucking dinner. Oh, a magnificent goal from Darren Huckabee! Now, you know him better than anybody probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, oh he No! Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin, Will He Score? We are back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Chris Gold. Joining me as always, Josh Whittacombe. Hello. And never mind Martin Clunes or Neil Morrissey, here's the original man behaving badly. It's Michael Marden. Hello. Oh, lovely. Really nice. How are you all? Really good. Really yeah. good. I've got... The 90s o'clock news desk is overflowing with news. It's been such a busy time. Well, shall we just shut up then and get on with it? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> It's amazing for someone to ask you how you are and then to basically shut down small talk straight away. I'm, I'm sorry, mate. I'm not going to tell you how I am. My brain is just so full of 90s o'clock news that I can't even have small talk. Well, let's just get into it. Let's just fucking get into it. <laughs> it's like, do you remember, like, um, do you remember after Brexit, where it'd be like there would be five massive generational news stories every day? Yeah. And you just couldn't. You but just you're like, not getting into the news, Chris. Yeah. Chris. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's like. Anyway, here's the night's o'clock news. From the headquarters of ITN News at Ten, with Chris Scarlett. David Speedy makes decades-old error. Frank Clark clarifies Dubious Gold's panel role. And we track down Peter Shilton's hairdresser. Oh, wow. Wow. Have I got those stories in the right order? Well, let's you be the judge of that. Let's yeah, because be- I'd say the headline is the least exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so, stay, David Speedy, right? Made his Scottish debut in uh, 1985, I think it was. Yeah. On his Scottish debut, he grabbed his shirt, he went home, he framed it. It's been up on his wall... Since 1985, he recently took it down and wanted to get it out of the frame. As he got it out, he realised it wasn't his shirt. Oh, my word. That is amazing. He picked up Gordon Strachan's, who was sat sat next to him when he made his (laughs) Scotland (laughs) date. That is phenomenal. That is great. So So did Strachs have speedies? We don't know. But David Speedy, since 1985, 
has had Gordon Strachan's shirt framed on his wall. I've just sent you through the tweet where he he acknowledges this generational (laughs) error. Wow. God. He looks a bit like John Hartson these days, doesn't he? Looking good. Oh, wow. How embarrassing. Almost 40 years. I'd say such an underwhelming way to, um, to tell that story. His tweet is so... Tells it in quite a mundane manner. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> since making my Scottish debut, I always thought I had my first Scotland shirt at home on my wall. Today, I just took the shirt out of the frame and realised I had Gordon Strachan's shirt on my wall since 1985. How many other shirts up and down the country are in frames and not the shirt that people think it is? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, once it's in a frame, no one could give a... I mean, this is the problem. Like, I, I think the frame shirt is... I'm going to come out and say it. I don't know where you two stand on it. I'd say it's naff. Have you, have you got Steve Lomas's shirt framed above your bed or something, this girl, before I carry on? I haven't, actually. I do want I do want a framed shirt at some point in my life, but it does take up a lot of real estate, doesn't it? Yeah. It's a big chunk. And you, what room in your house can it really go in? Exactly, exactly. It's, you know, I, I don't also... It's not visually arresting a framed shirt. Do you know what? The frame doesn't bring anything to the shirt. I think, if anything, it takes away from it because a shirt is like about the feel of it or the kind of... I think once you frame a football shirt, you realise how shit football shirts are compared to art. (laughs) (laughs) And understandably, because that's not their role. Yeah. In the same way you wouldn't, you know, wear a painting. Do you know what I mean? Like, you wouldn't... You shouldn't frame a football shirt. It's never the twain shall meet. That's my view. And if I ran a framers, I'd I'd have a sign on the window saying no football shirts. (laughs) Who is it that's got Diego Maradona's shirt? Steve Hodge. If Steve Hodge goes to his local framers and goes... Oh, can you frame this shirt for me? It's like this Maradona shirt. Do the frame? Surely, at one point in time, a frame has just gone. I'm going to swap this shirt out. Yeah, of course. I'll just go put a rep- yeah. I'll pop a replica in there, and then I've got Diego Maradona's yeah. shirt. I think it devalues the shirt as well. I don't think Steve Hodge would be adding to the value of Maradona's shirt if it came in a frame. I tell you, one person who has done the retention of shirt things in a quite classy way. How, do you know that Michael Owen has basically a museum yeah, to himself that's not a classy in way. his basement? <laughs> He's, I'm sure we must have discussed this before that he's got a he's got his European Player of the Year award, which he shouldn't have won, as we would all agree. It's on a thing that's constantly rotating, yeah. like in a it's museum. It's like a revolving plinth. I really love that. I think if you're gonna do it, you have to go really, really kind of gauche and tacky. Like his his looks like you've gone to some Dubai billionaire's house that's just got all money and, and no taste, yeah. but has got a sort of penchant for collecting football shirts. It's hilarious. But I don't think he's gone. I'm going to go gauche. Oh and no, tacky. no no no! I think he's gone. <laughs> there's, there's no self awareness there. <laughs> yeah. I'm just looking at pictures of it now. He's got like he's got a bar down there. He's got footballs from all the big matches he's played in. He's got he's got a framed England shirt. He's got a jukebox in there. Oh pool table. I, I think. No, uh, I I just that's that kind of thing is my worst nightmare. My absolute worst nightmare. I think you can get away with it if you've got a, a kind of a man cave. I know Chris has discussed one day having a sort of West Ham themed pub yeah. at the bottom of the garden or something. I think then and only then you're allowed a little bit of license, but. Not in the main residence. You can't have a framed football shirt in, in your actual family home, can you? I mean, there's a lot of listeners that probably I'm have, gonna... so I'm I'm very very sorry, but rules are rules. No, but we've got we've got to have. I think I think this is a place for unpopular views. If this is less unpopular than 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 the 1966 World Cup being bullshit, then fair enough. But like, <laughs> okay, what's the second bit of news? Um, I was just thinking if maybe what I'll do when I get my bar is um, have a, a framed picture of Michael Owens' Ballon d'Or <laughs> from his own house. 
I'll put the picture of his blonde ore on its own plinth, which rotates. <laughs> <laughs> right, what's um, the second news story? Next, next story. Frank Clark clarifies dubious goals panel role. Big thank you to Matt Davies, who is a uh, social media editor in the Midlands. He somehow has a connection to Frank Clark. You may recall a few weeks ago, I brought up the, yeah. the do I remember this right, that I really remember Frank Clark being on the Dubious Goals panel. Matt Davies has done some investigation and he's asked Frank Clark and Frank Clark says he was never on the Dubious Goals or Paul's panel. Sorry. Oh, well, there we go. Important clarification. Important clarification. Sad news. Sad news all round. Do you know what? I liked that idea, though, because you kind of hope that, like, I thought a role on the Dubious Goals panel, you get, uh, you could have Frank Clark on there. You can have all these old managers of yesteryear. Yeah. Like, it's like not quite put out to pasture, but there's a little gig for them there yeah. to keep them ticking over. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. It's a sad, it's a shame. It's a real shame. It's a shame. It's a shame. It's a but shame. you know, I hope Frank's doing all right. What's the third uh, story? <laughs> the third the third story is that so, then this is a do I remember this right? It's definitely true because I just I googled this after someone said sent me. I couldn't. I thought it was on Twitter. I couldn't find it. I checked the emails. It's not on the email. But someone has sent me a link to a beauty salon in in the north of England, and it's got bios for everybody on the team. And if you scroll down to Signature Hair and Beauty, yeah, meet the team, and you find a woman called Karen. Karen on her bio has the following claim to fame: Karen. During the 80s, Karen was responsible for the most perms in Stoke-on-Trent, <laughs> including perming Peter Shilton's hair, who is an ex-England footballer. <laughs> Amazing. Also, Karen's got a kind of... Uh, I'm looking at it now. Karen has a... Um, she has dark hair in a kind of bob, very similar, uh, very kind of reminiscent of Mystic Meg, I suppose. <laughs> and I think uh, it's strange that she was responsible for so many perms. But she's decided, she's almost gone against it, and she's got the straightest hair in Stoke-on-Trent now. <laughs> um, we will put that, let's write the list. If you want to see Karen, uh, her claim to fame, we'll put that on our Instagram. And maybe, Chris, we could combine it with this photo that we've been sent in, which is uh, under the title, Peter Shilton, Muzzy Is It? Now, you aware <laughs> what that means? Do you remember the Muzzy Is It game? Does someone have a moustache? Oh, uh, yes, yeah. Yes. This is from Jake. After your discussion of Peter Shilton and his hair and appearance over the years, I stumbled across this picture, which is Shilton uh, sporting a look I've never seen before, the moustache. Do you want to see Peter Shilton with a moustache? I, I can't even imagine this. I can't visually... Pi- I can't imagine it in my mind. Are you, I mean, I'd be very excited at this point. To the point where... Yeah. Like, I wish I was you, because you still get to experience this for the first time. <laughs> there it is. Oh, my word. Wow. Wow. It's even better than I imagined. I think, great, I think it, it really suits him. Do you? Yeah. He's, um, he's got a sort of swashbuckling kind, kind of, of like uh, early yeah. early Hollywood vibe to him. He's gone a, a bit Freddie Mercury. He's grown it down the sides. Is that yeah. is that called the stalk? The stalk? What, no, what's that bit? That, I don't. Well, anyway, it's it's not quite a handlebar, yeah. but it's it's on the way. Yeah, it's making inroads. We'll pop it on our Instagram, obviously, um, and uh, you know that also answers whether Peter Shorten had a perm. I suppose the Karen thing. He did have a perm. We'll put this picture on our Instagram, but look at his uh, goalkeeper shirt. Yeah, it? it's like cotton. Pure cotton. 
Yeah. It's got like a collar, but no buttons. Like the yeah, collar's just it looks really woven into the shirt. It looks very comfortable. Um, it, it looks like someone I've never seen before. It's phenomenal, doesn't <laughs> it? Um, aren't, aren't goalkeepers in this era a strange bunch? Do you remember, like, I remember watching like early football videos, and, like goalkeepers with no gloves. Yeah. Goalkeepers, or, like, goalkeepers with, with no all, gloves. It's insane. Or goalkeepers with gardening gloves. <laughs> just like green, just pure green. <laughs> I'd be interested to know, did a rule come in? That men you could now wear gloves, or did someone just come up with the idea of wearing gloves? I think someone must have come up with it. I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at Gordon Banks. I'm just trying to think. I was like, did Gordon Banks wear gloves in 1966? No, he did. No, I don't like... think he's wearing gloves when he makes that save from Pele either. I don't think he is. I, but I think he is wearing gloves in gloves in '66. Is he? But they're like gardening. I'm looking at a picture of him. They're like gardening gloves. They're proper heavy duty. Like you're about to take down a bramble bush. <laughs> well, in many ways, you know, it's a similar world. Um, if you have anything on any of these things, uh, do get in touch. But shall we see what we've got in the electronic post bag? I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the electronic post bag. You've got mail. OK, we've had a lot about uh, the pools panel. A lot about the pools panel. In fact, so much that I'm tempted to make this a um, pools panel special. Did you know... Malcolm Crosby, uh, the Sunderland manager in the early 90s, was sacked uh, following a defeat. The defeat being a defeat decided by the pools panel. <laughs> no. What? This is from The Independent. Malcolm Crosby, he was the caretaker who was too good to be brushed aside. He was supposed to keep the seat warm for Dennis Smith's replacement at Sunderland, but proved too hot himself. He collected the Manager of the Month award at the end of his first four weeks in charge and led Sunderland to the 1992 FA Cup final. A one-year contract followed, but he was sacked after a pools panel defeat at Tranmere. That's that's <laughs> insane. <laughs> well, I suppose Look, if, you can't, if you can't win anyway. over the pools, yeah, yeah, <laughs> if you can't win over the pools panel, are you going to win over the fans of the players? <laughs> <laughs> they know what they're talking about. The pools panel. They know. What we got to do yeah. is change the manager before we actually play this fixture. Because the Pauls panel know we're going to lose otherwise. <laughs> um, Pauls panel in the 90s. I was listening to your recent conversation on the Pauls panel. Delighted to say that I have a 1990s Pauls panel story. In 1991, my mum was in hospital for an operation. I'd come back to, from uni to visit and was chatting away when mum said, the lady next to me is married to a Liverpool player. As a die-hard red, I immediately asked who it was. Next to my mum was the wife of the sadly recently departed Reds and England legend, Sir Roger Hunt. He wasn't there, but he was due in the next day. The next day, I arrived at the ward with my Kodak camera in hand. All but ignoring my mum, I asked Mrs Hunt when her husband was arriving. Sorry, dear, she said. He's had to sit on the pools panel. <laughs> I never did meet him as my mum was discharged later that day. And that was how the pools panel ruined my life. Wow. Is it like jury duty for footballers and managers? Yeah, I think it must be. <laughs> You think if my wife was ill in hospital, I don't think I'd pick to do the pause panel, would you? Would no, I? Of course not. The fabric of the country would fall apart. It's like crows at the Tower of London. If there isn't a pause panel formed, <laughs> the United Kingdom could just evaporate. <laughs> Michael Vincent writes My old maths and games teacher at Hodgson High School, Poulton, near Blackpool, was ex Blackpool, Newcastle, and Scotland winger Tony Green. He was on the pause panel. Every Saturday he was paid to go down to London on the train and sit on the panel. They just discussed the games and voted majority one. It's pretty dull, Michael. Interesting though, isn't it? That that's your life. That's a long way to go from Newcastle every weekend. 
I love that. I love that. Like those old historic things that just keep happening. Yeah. Like the Lord Mayor of London. Like I'd put the Paul's panel in with that. It just feels like just old worldy. I like. You feel like you've got a real connection with the past. Like I like. I love the idea of a Paul's panel. Yeah. Still. Happen. I totally I love agree. the idea of the if, if they brought it back, like say for example, there was uh, another situation oh. where football got cancelled for the season, and they said, right, to keep it fun, oh, keep it yeah. fun, we're going to run the fixtures, but we're going to put together, we're going to assemble a crack team of football fans across the generations. And Chris Gull and Josh Widdicombe, as co-hosts of uh, Quickly Kevin, we'd love you to come down and work out the fixtures. Like, would would, would you be up for that? I don't think yeah. I know enough. I mean, obviously you'd go. I, it depends whether... I just don't think I know enough. Do you know what I mean? I'd love to know... How much debate is... Like, they've got to rattle yeah, through it, yeah. haven't they? You can't You can't be tied up talking about Liverpool and Chelsea. Like, you can't have a 40-minute debate on that. You'd start at the bottom, wouldn't you, and work up, because your reward would yeah. be the easier ones at the top yeah. where you knew more. But do you think they're sort of... If it were to happen tomorrow, do you think they're considering, like, actual squad status, injuries, fitness, form? So they're sort of picking a formation and, and best eleven. And then somebody's there going, yeah, but um, Liverpool have got a Champions League game on Wednesday, so they'd probably rest yeah. Salah. So I think they would get beaten by Leicester. Or is it literally a sort of coin toss slash roll of the dice type thing? Do you know what's quite depressing? It's like probably AI is going to be the way to solve this debate. You can pretty much cut humans out of this even now. I think they should send a representative and they should play a game of Sabutio. And that's how they decide <laughs> it. Each team sends, sends their best man. But, but I've got an idea. If you're going to use AI to kind of decide who's going to win the pause panel, why don't you use the power of AI? Like, get all the footage that ever existed of Jimmy Hill, get everything you know about his personality, pump it into some machine, and basically reanimate Jimmy Hill, and he can be one voice on the on the pause panel. Just basically get all these legends and pundits of yesteryear, get Brian Clough out there, and have them all, like, and then, and then maybe they're robots, and perhaps they could look a little bit like the Terminators. What, what you're describing very much feels like sort of the beginning of sentience and the end of the world <laughs> six months later there's a hundred foot Jimmy Hill just trashing Tokyo <laughs> we're being harvested for body parts and, and energy by a Brian class cyborg um, if you have anything uh, about the Pauls panel this is how to get in touch get in touch with the show email hello at quicklykevin.com Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at QuicklyKevin and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. Thank you so much for your correspondence. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to read all of it. Uh, little brief note, uh, I will be away for the next couple of weeks and be replaced. Don't worry, Quickly Kevin will plough on. I'm going on manager holiday and I will be replaced by a Quickly Kevin legend. And I, for one, can't wait to listen to Quickly Kevin without knowing what people are going to say. It's going to be an absolute joy. It's going to be an absolute pleasure. Um, so I look forward to that. I will be back before the end of the series, though, uh, but I have work commitments. On work commitments, if you do want more 90s football, Chris, how can they get more 90s football? Maybe in their eyes rather than in their ears. In, in Using your eyes, you can get more 90s football if you buy my new book with Sid Lambert. It's called... Uh, can we not knock it and it is available at canwenotknockit.com it's that simple it's got loads of good stuff in there including uh, a discussion about David Seaman's moustache so please go over to canwenotknockit.com and you also get a signed copy there as well if you'd like do you know what I've got it and I am reading it and I'm not going to lie it's up my street 
I'm thoroughly <laughs> enjoying it. It's great. Uh, so do, and if you enjoy reading about the 90s, why not this Christmas? Pair that or get your partner to buy that and buy my book about growing up in the 90s and 90s television and popular culture, watching Neighbours twice a day. Go over to uh, wherever you want to buy that and buy Chris's book and then you'll be very happy indeed. Now, uh, we did a episode trial in the first half of the series and it went down so well. Uh, some people called it our best episode ever, didn't they, bizarrely? Yeah, but some people that said true? that about Demo Gallagher. Lovely man as he was. It's sort of, you know... <laughs> There's, a, there's always that song from a band that you're like, what? That's your favourite song. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, if you do, um, did enjoy us choosing um, a month of the 90s, we're going to try and over time go through all the months of the 90s, decide which is the greatest month for football. We decided to do another one by popular demand. Bring back a quickly Kevin legend. It's Tom Parry discussing a huge month. It's May 1995. Tom Parry, hello. Hello, hello. What, pleasure to be back, boys. And welcome, not to Quickly Kevin, but to May 1995. Incredible. The second of our journeys back to the months of the 90s to find the greatest footballing month of the 90s. And I think we've got a good one on our hands here. Yeah. We'll get into the music. But this is the, the big tune, obviously, knocking about is... Uh... Robson and Jerome. This is. Are we, this are we starting actually, with that? We're, we're, we're well, going straight thought, in on Robson and Jerome. <laughs> just thought, this is, is it a good footballing issue. month? Let's this start is, with Robson and Jerome. This is the start of Simon Cowell's rise. This is well, like it, it slightly is, yes. Yeah. So, well, we'll come. But I think we should start with what we're all up to in the nineties. I was in year seven. It was towards the end of year seven. I'd established myself in secondary school. I think my first year in secondary school was. The least I supported Plymouth as a child because I, th- I think that was two of an out, two out there of a choice. So it was the strongest I was a Liverpool fan. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I I see it as a as a, it was a good time, but you, you it almost feels like a year before the nineties really got going. I feel like <laughs> the big one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It feels like the um, year before the big one. What were you up to, Parry? It's hard for me this choice because. You've picked one of the most painful footballing months yeah. in my kind of personal history. It's it's the month that Wolves lost the playoff semi-finals to Bolton, oh. and that was what it's one of the bitterest pills I've ever had to swallow as a football fan. Oh, really? We we won the first leg two two one, yeah, yeah. and then and, and then we you. went. Yeah, then we went to Bolton, and I, I I didn't go, but I we all went and watched it at the Molyneux on the big screen, which which it was a terrible decision really, because it's not really a big screen at the Molyneux. It's kind of like one of those smaller big screens made up of lots of little screens. It's not like yeah. you know, so, so it wasn't a good viewing. And so you sat in your seats, or no, they... we, we all sat in the in the like the John Island uh, lower kind of thing. They open at one stand to look into the corner and watch it on the telly. And Bad what's idea. going on on the pitch? Because you must be fucking miles away from the screen. Yeah, you're nothing miles between. away. Nothing's, nothing's going on on the pitch. It was a terrible experience. <laughs> you're, looking into the, you're looking into the corner video score, scoreboard and Bolton beat us 2-0. Do they turn the floodlights on for that? Because there's no football on the pitch. Do they turn the floodlights on for you to watch TV in Molyneux? I think they did, yeah. I think they did. It was, it was a bad... Uh, it, it was the game where Peter. It was like Peter Shilton's last hurrah, where he had been signed to kind of as goalkeeper cover, 
Yeah. And he kind of had one of the greatest games of his club career where he just kept everything oh, out and uh, denied us getting to the playoff final. So, horrible. It did feel at that time that Wolves were never going to get into the Premier League. Well, this was it, because it was very much the feeling of like, it's, it was it was the now or bust kind of season where he'd gone all in to kind of use an NFL phase. Like, he'd, yeah. he'd spent like five million quid on all the big guns. You know, John DeWolf was there, Steve Frogger. All the Frogger, big guns. All the know, big we'd, guns. We'd, we'd spent big. <laughs> you can't sign John DeWolf and Steve Frogger and not end up. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, let's go back to May 1995. And uh, as Chris said, Unchained Melody by Robson and Jerome is in the charts. Seven weeks at number one. Biggest selling single of the year. Biggest selling single of the 90s until Candle in the Wind is released. Absolutely um, mental. This, the thing Absolutely is, that this reminded it? me, is like, actually, we do think of 90s music as seminal and like just brilliant. <laughs> but actually, there's a lot of shit in there. Do you remember when Mr. Blobby was Christmas number one? Like, Robson and Jerome. Like, yeah. That, 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 that big wrestling like Robson and was selling far far more far more records than Oasis and that's, that's crazy who's buying records because you imagine it's housewives and you know bored kind of businessmen on trips do you know it's middle aged people are actually the people that were buying records then yeah. yeah I mean look you can't deny they're a charismatic pair <laughs> I didn't uh, even you know, watch Soldier Soldier, so I didn't even have that level to it. Did you? I no. think my, no, my mom did. My mom, what? I think I think at that age, your parents watch Soldier Soldier, and you kind of hang around while it's on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like the House of Elliot. But you can't really invest in it. But what about those five nights Robson and Jerome did at Nebworth? They were just. <laughs> <laughs> did you not hear? Before they fell out, before the uh, the rift. <laughs> have you seen that documentary about them? Super Supersonic. And it's just soldier, soldier, Sonic. <laughs> the awful thing where Robson and Jerome went on a US tour and then Jerome came back early and Robson had to do the rest of his own. And they tried to do that gig where they were off their tits on crystal meth and they just couldn't remember the words down chain melody. Do you reckon they stand a chance at the legend slot at Glastonbury? Would you go? Like, on record, on record sales, yeah, they've got to be, they've got to be contenders. Uh, do you know what? It's the kind of thing that Parry. I think you could convince me to go see. <laughs> if Parry turned to me at Glasgow and was like, "Come on, Michael, tops off on my shoulders for Unchained Melody," it would be one of the greatest moments of my life. <laughs> You're going up on the roof, mate. You're going up on the roof. <laughs> but Chris said, and this is true, that they were kind of Simon Cowell's first big act. Like how do you how do you even when go you see soldier soldier? How do you get these two go, guys? This would sell. Am I remembering this right? Yeah. Did they did they sing a song in an episode of Soldier Soldier? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, they sung a song in an episode, but possibly Unchained Melody. You know, they've got they had two albums, both went in at number one. But why why yeah, like why isn't there a third? The sad the truth is, if you look back at the nineties, Robson and Jerome are a far bigger part of yeah. it than. We would like to admit. Pulp or yeah. Supergrass. Yeah. The other number one of the time, Dreamer by Living Joy, which is also an absolute, not also, because I don't agree, I didn't enjoy Robson Joy. <laughs> no, it's just there Dreamer now. By, You've said it. You've committed. It's, You've committed. it's also <laughs> a classic. The veil has slipped. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't much news that month, I could find. I found it was the 50th anniversary of VE Day, which uh, obviously I imagine helped 
Robson Jerome sales. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the perfect storm, wasn't it, really? For this? I remember um, going to like our local parish for like a fate yeah, we did for the that. 50th anniversary, and that being the same day as the FA Cup final. Was it? Yeah. Which kind of would kind of add up because obviously the, the Second World War ended in May. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So I remember being at a fate. And it was like there was like tanks and stuff, and then there was like a big telly in the corner, and I would just went, I went there and just went off to watch the telly. You had tanks at your summer fete? <laughs> no, it was like <laughs> I don't think they were big tanks. There were there was like just military vehicles, and then people in dressed up in army fatigues. The only other news I could find that was not very bleak or boring was BBC BBC showed the first episode of Due South. That was the only other thing I could find. God, that is a slow news month, mate. That is a slow (laughs) news month. That's a slow news month if you get in there. Michael, what was going on in the film world at that point? Listeners to the previous incarnation of this show will know that I have a a scrapbook, and within that scrapbook is contained the receipts or the cinema ticket stubs to every film I've ever seen in the cinema. Amazing. And trawled back through the archives... Wasn't a prestige month for me or cinema releases, I don't think. Um, So, May 1995, we've got uh, Richie Rich, the uh, Macaulay Culkin Culkin uh, adaptation, which I think certainly won't be troubling the uh, BFI Top 100 anytime soon. Uh, Street Fighter, the movie, one of the uh, one in in a run of appalling video game adaptations. Wasn't Kylie in Street Fighter? Yeah, Kylie, Jean Claude Van Damme. There's some extraordinary reading around the filming of that film where Jean-Claude Van Damme was was a, a cocaine addict at the time and was pretty much un, it was pretty much impossible to work with him and the whole kind of project is just trying to wrangle Jean-Claude Van Damme who would disappear to his trailer for like 3 days stints and was like kind of like a lunatic basically and um kind of kylie was getting caught up in his web of insanity it's it's a really good film to read around the making of who who did john claude van damme play who's the hero of street guile guile oh right the american uh did you love street fighter 2 i absolutely adored it as a computer game i loved the game yeah yeah i absolutely who did you play as in my top 10 chun lee always chun lee chun lee unplayable no unplayable and in later versions when they uh, evolved the character she could also do ryu's hayuken dragon punch thing so she had the the range which then no one could get anywhere near me what were her special? I can, do you know what I can tell you? She did the spinning bird, bird kick. kick and she spinning spinning bird kick. Bird she, kick. She would do the kick version of E. Honda's hundred hand slap, so she could oh, yeah, do like yeah, the yeah, fast kick slap, version yeah, of yeah. that. But yeah. the way to win with her was not to use any of the special moves. She had uh, yeah. a really good reach with sort of jump kicks, so no one could get near you if you knew how to use the. You know, had like strong oh, punch, yeah. strong kick, weak punch, weak kick. The the jumping strong kick from Chun Li or. <laughs> Back and defence, and then leg sweep. No one, no one gets near you because she can bounce off the walls, so, so she can jump leg. backwards Back and to into the, the wall, <laughs> and then over any of the fireball attacks. I can't believe, I can't believe that you still know how to win Street Fighter as Chun <laughs> I think, I think you could give me any character, and I could probably tell you the button combination for each of their special moves. You just mentioned Reach. How can you be looking beyond Dal Sim? Yeah, you can see on the other Sim's side of the screen reach. and yeah. pepper, no, pepper people with jabs. The, the thing or with Dal Sim is. Came forward with his slaps. The recoil, the return of Dal Sim's extended arms and legs was an absolute massive weak point. So if you didn't get them, 
<laughs> his arms retracting in, you basically just had an open goal. You you get in there and just you know, like, you know like when people go to prison and they say like they play games of chess in their mind against themselves for years. You could kind of do that, but with Street Fighter, couldn't you? You could have kind of like these kind of mental, like, like hypothetical Street Fighter tournaments. Michael. Yeah, very quickly, talk us through the eight... Just in the names, can you name the eight characters and the four baddies? Go. Um, from So, from left to right, top row was Ray, E. Honda, Blanca and Guile. Then bottom row, left to right, was Ken, Chun-Li, Zangief, Dalsim. And then end <laughs> bosses were Bullrog, Vega, Sagat and M. Bison. Classic Michael. <laughs> Do you just get blisters up your thumb? I used to lose yeah. weekends to Street Fighter 2 and I'd come back from Clarky's house and I'd have a huge blister up the thumb from that kind of coming up the side of the... Yeah, you've just got to roll it around, haven't nah, you? Poor yeah. technique. Poor technique. You guys aren't doing it right. <laughs> Fucking amateurs. Let's bring it on to football. And it was a huge game. It was a huge month. Most of all, perhaps the biggest game of the month in the English Domestic League, there was two at the same time. And one of them was at Upton Park. Skull, do you remember? Not only do I remember, I was there. I was wondering wow. whether you were there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, this is... Um, I'm Talk really me hitting... through your day. Talk me History. through your day. I'm really hitting the peak of my West Ham fandom at this point. Because I've been a season ticket holder since 92. So 95... The, the, this so is actually... you get your first season ticket? When you were eight? Eight or nine, yeah, yeah. Blimey. Yeah. And that was actually a great season because we came up. Then 93, 94, we were always steady, mid-table, never really in relegation danger. This season, we had been awful until about April. And then Blackburn Rovers came to town. We smashed them 2-0. This is the season they win the league. <laughs> and we go on this crazy yeah. run. We then beat Liverpool. And it gets were you going last... down at any point or no? Are you, were you trying to fight relegation? We were fighting were relegation the whole season. We were appalling. And then it got to it got to like April, as I say. And we started we just beat everyone when they came to Upton Park, and so it got to the point that Man United last game of the season, we were actually safe by the time we got here. We didn't need yeah, any points. To play for. And this is the great thing about West Ham is like in the nineties, we would just pull out absurd results and performances for no reason whatsoever. So this game, <laughs> we didn't have anything to play for, and suddenly we turn on the performance of a lifetime. Well, shall we set it up? What the situation was? It gets to the last day of the season. Um, it was quite well docu- well done this bit in the Premier League documentary the BBC recently did I thought it really uh, brought it home my um, my wife has never ever been interested in football but she loves yeah. a good documentary and she loves the 90s so she started watching those documentaries on the BBC and now she's just obsessed with 90s football so like <laughs> I got oh, I got well, into bed with her I got into bed with her the other night turned the light off turned over to go to sleep and she just said in the dark she went What's Les Ferdinand up to these days? And I was like, what? And she went, Les Ferdinand, he just seems like such a nice bloke. And I was just like, I was like wait, wait. she's just discovering all these people. She's obsessed with Keith Gillespie, the the the, oh, the yeah. human tragic story of him. Like, yeah. he just needs an arm around his shoulder. He seems like a really sweet bloke. Like, she's yeah. just like really invested in all this. So I only very recently rewatched this, and it, and, it, and they did it brilliantly because you forget what. It's an incredible setup. The fact that uh, Blackburn are at Liverpool, that Kenny Dalglish is Blackburn's manager, and that yeah. Liverpool could roll over to let United, you know, to let the Blackburn beat United to win the title. It's just like extraordinary. So Blackburn ended up winning the league by a point. So if Manu had won, Blackburn uh, would have needed a win as well because they'd have then lost the title on goal difference. But if they'd drawn, so they need to match Manu's win, or if Manu didn't win then Blackburn would win the league. So um, 
What was it like as a day skull? How much information was coming through? How much did you care about the outside of West Ham information? Well, in terms of the day, like the big story would be like the number one anti-hero for West Ham in the 90s is Paul Ince. So he's come, mm. he's coming to West Ham because of of course he famously posed with a United shirt before he'd left West Ham and uh, ever since had just got absolute dogs abused every time he came to Upton Park. So the the narrative is like you hate you hate Paul Ince, but also you know United are the the strongest team at that point. So you just you hate them too. But you got also in the background the relief of having stayed up. And then the game begins and we go one nil up, like almost against the, the run of play. Michael Hughes on the volley. And it's just, they've just opened, I think, the Bobby Moore stand, which is the stand behind the goal. And I think there's almost like a little bit of a pitch invasion. Like that, wow, it's, it just sets it up. It's last day of the season. It's last day of the It should be allowed. It sets it up. on the barriers. It's last day of the season. It's anything is allowed on the last day of the season. So it's just, you know I it's going to be favorite, a Well, I know we've talked about pitch invasions before, but my favourite thing, which I don't know if we've discussed this detail of the pitch invasion, is... The period just before the final whistle where people have got over the barrier, but they're still waiting politely yeah. on the side of the pitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can no longer see the barriers the pl- because the fans have already vaulted, but they, they know the game's got to finish. The, the best pitch invasion I've ever seen was uh, in May 1993, West Ham needed to beat Cambridge United to get promoted to the Premier League and the pit the everyone is gathered around the pitch there's people pressed up against the back of the net and we score a last minute goal to to win the game 2-0 so we're 1-0 up we score a second just to end it and so we score that last minute goal 2-0 we definitely get promoted and everyone like runs onto the pitch to celebrate with them but there's people behind the goal pressing to the net and they just get kind of forced through the net like, <laughs> what, like, a, what, like a kind of cheese no, cutter, like, a cheese <laughs> like, like, like mashed potato. It's like a like a potato masher, isn't it? Like a, like a play-doh factory. Yeah, it's a gruesome but glorious scene. <laughs> Do you know what is not talked about enough? That there was a pitch invasion. During the 1966 World Cup final at the end. Yeah, I know. You, you know, they always talk about some people in the pitch, they think it's all over. No one actually discusses that if that happened now, there would be, there'd be a huge inquiry. Yeah, <laughs> that, goal, that goal shouldn't have stood. No. It should be Kenneth Wollstone-Holmes who'd go, there's some people on the pitch, they think it's all over. Well, that shouldn't count. <laughs> That's how it should. <laughs> it is so true. It is so true. Surely this is the refs, like, he can just call it off. Who are those people that ran on the pitch as well? You never hear from them. No. Like- I was going to say, there's got to be people out there. The people, every time they hear that quote, there's some people on the pitch, that was me. <laughs> yeah. like, that, that must feel so incredible, also, do you know what I mean? How selfish. Jeff Hurst is through on goal. You're like, I'll run on the pitch. <laughs> Just wait until this mood that- breaks down. He's going to get his hat trick. <laughs> we need to stop him because if he scores a hat trick, he's going to be unsufferable for the next 40 years. <laughs> We've got to stop this guy. <laughs> so sorry. Let's go back to Upton Park. And so do you know the result of Blackburn? Do you care about the result of Blackburn? How much is the kind of that playing? There's so much. No, I, I think we knew that if we could hold United to a draw, I think the points worked out. So they were on 87. And I think Blackburn were on 89. So we knew if we held them to a draw, they wouldn't win the title. So it's almost like you weren't too bothered about what was happening at Blackburn because you yeah. knew 
You know, if you just if we could just hold them to a draw, or better yet, yeah. beat them, they're not winning the title. And what uh, was it like at full time? Oh, just sensational scenes. I'm pretty sure we had a pitch, pitch invasion. It might have been the last pitch invasion of the 90s. I'm not sure it happened after this point. That might have been the last one. But just absolutely glorious scenes. Not stayed up. Everyone hated Alex Ferguson. Really yeah. detested him. Well, it just felt like these are the kind of years where United, it just felt like United never lost. They won everything, didn't they? They just yeah. kept on winning. That's just how it felt. Extraordinary. The highlights of that game are just are brilliant. It's well worth watching again because it is like Andy the Alamo. Andy Thomas is astonishing chance. Well, it's a good save. It is, it's a quite a good save as well, but he's, he has that chance. It's his chance to be that Aguero moment, isn't yeah. it? It's like, yeah. before the Aguero, it's like that would have been it. Like that, that was his chance. Well, there was all this thing about Liverpool wouldn't try, you know, because it was us. But I just had a feeling that Liverpool knew exactly what winning titles meant. And I thought it was a difficult game for Barber because they were certainly wobbling at the time, there's no doubt about that. But um, we had a job to do at West Ham and we were absolutely robbed. A twist in this championship tale. Well, they're claiming half wall against Breaker. And it's gone! And it bounces back off Miklosko. And Redknapp shoots! It's in! They just can't take it in, Blackburn! Pallister on again. Hughes is in here now. Blocked again on the line. It's what an incredible finish this is. Ludwig McCloskey had the, that was the game of his life, and he always used to do it. Whenever the sky cameras were there, you'd like it would be a different <laughs> bloke. Like he's pulling out I all kinds that, of stuff. I know that's such a fan thing to say. When the sky cameras <laughs> the are there, Ludwig McCloskey. He just turned it on. <laughs> Michael, how was the day for you? Do you remember it? Yeah, very vividly, but obviously a very different experience to Skull in that I, I wasn't in the ground. And uh, you also, also didn't believe the Ludwig McCloskey myth, did you? <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that, um, can I just say, I don't know if you know this, but Alex Ferguson actually pushed for the game not to be televised because he was worried about Ludus Oscar. <laughs> Please don't tell him it's on Sky. <laughs> yeah, Harry Redknapp, as man management, used to uh, hire cameramen for the West Ham games, put them up in the gantry and go, Ludek, uh, look up there, mate. Look up there, have a good one. Marble cutout of Keys and Grey that he put up in the gantry <laughs> so that Ludus and Klosko thought the Sky were in. Do you know what as well, that theory, I think my dad told me that theory that he's only good when the sky cameras are there and it's just stuck with me forever and this day just cemented that there's an element of truth to this that's great I thought you were going to say now I've realised the, the wool has been no, pulled to I my eye no I still believe it I still believe it because I speak to a lot of these players now I ask them like what was it like on the day were you all just fired up like were you ready to go and um, Ludic McCloskey and Julie Dix told me that they, they weren't bothered at all because the pressure was off they didn't come to the ground until like an hour before they said they were eating chocolate bars and stuff like that they didn't well, even McClo talk tactics McCloskey was in makeup wasn't he <laughs> <laughs> Scott, when you talk to Ludic McCloskey yeah. 
Is he more of a laugh when the sky cameras are there? Like, is it really better conversation? <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly the anecdotes are coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Michael. <laughs> Uh, so yes, my at that point in my life, it was uh, I was in the second year of my GCSEs. So I was fifteen years old, summer of ninety five. So I was probably this was the kind of white heat of a kind of four or five year period of peak kind of nineties football fandom. But I had a uh, Saturday job working as a luggage porter in a big hotel in the Isle of Wight, and I was there all day from sort of seven till seven. So I wasn't able it's was pre internet, pre mobile phones. There was no access or it's quite difficult to get access to the football fixtures that day because yeah. I was just ferrying hundreds of suitcases up and down stairs for these old ladies and old couples. So I would deliberately not get any of the football results in the day and then come home, watch match of the day, not knowing any of the results. That was a sort of treat. Yeah. That happened for the Ipswich nine one game, which was one of the sort of most brilliant experiences of my life alone in a room watching Manchester United score goal after goal it's like laughing to myself this was the other side of that where we sort of touched on it earlier Manchester United at this point it was never a worry even if we went a goal down it's like well we'll come back we always come back it'll be fine so I went through that whole game going it'll be fine like it's fine we're gonna win we always win like it's fine and then my relationship with Andy Cole as a player is based entirely on this game he was obviously a brilliant player. You know, his goal-scoring record is incredible. But every time I see him, I can't stand him because the trauma of the chances that he missed and then blowing wow. this title and the feeling I have of watching that and increasingly going, oh, my God, and that sense of fear and foreboding creeping in. Like, you know, you know, you're watching a match of the day highlights package and it's cutting between the two I was going to say, games. was it doing that? Did it show them, did it do like the kind of let's go over? The fans on transistor radios is always my favourite. Yeah, but there's, there's that sense of like, you know roughly how long a match of the day highlights package is. There isn't a set time, but it's like watching a, a film in the cinema. Your body naturally goes... Oh, we, this is the third act now. Like when things are wrapping up, like I don't. We need to score soon, otherwise this isn't going to happen. But because there'd been so many moments, literally right up until the final whistle, I was sort of looking across the horizon for the cavalry going. Well, somebody's going to score here, right? Somebody's going to score here. So that when it didn't happen, I just sat like slumped in the chair and I I couldn't believe it. But I was I was absolutely livid and heartbroken i'd say it's one of the worst alongside uh euro 96 i'd say it's one of the worst footballing moments in my life because i just didn't know going in what was going to happen the, w- one thing i would add is about you remember that supersonic documentary about oasis the day man united play um west ham is the day they're recording uh what's the story morning glory the album oh, wow and so yeah. the, and supersonic you see liam and noel Recording like uh, Champagne Supernova, and then running back to watch to watch Sky to see Ludic McCloskey pulling off all these great saves. <laughs> he knew they were watching Ludic, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, sim- a seminal day for music uh, outside of Robson and Jerome as well. That, that's that, yeah, that's the day. Outside of Robson and Jerome. So when they're singing about how many special people changed, they're talking about the West Ham keeper turning it on for Sky <laughs> when the cameras turn up. <laughs> when the cameras turn up. <laughs> Um, where were you when we were getting highlights <laughs> on Sky? <laughs> yeah, he's the real. He's the real Wonderwall. <laughs> I mean, there's also that really weird. It, it's really weird, especially like when you watch the Premier League documentary as well. Like Blackburn, 
they lost with on the last kick of the game. Redknapp scores this free yeah. kick, and they have to. They're all just waiting for yeah, the yeah. news to come through. And like Dalglish is literally there, and a fan runs up and tells Dalglish that he's won the title, which is it's an absolutely incredible scene. Like yeah. Dalglish is there, face of thunder. And a fan gets over the hoardings and runs up to him and says, it's over, we've won the league. And then they all know they've won the league. So they're there, they've they've just lost. I would say I need a second more reliable source. (laughs) (laughs) Because why are you the only one here that knows? (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing here in the tunnel? (laughs) Are you from the future? It's a weird thing. I've always thought, like, Blackburn lifting the title, you've just been be- beaten. Can you really enjoy those celebrations as much as if you'd have got a point or what? Yes, I, I think you yeah? definitely okay. can. Do you, wouldn't I mean, you? They oh absolutely gosh. did. I mean, yeah. I mean, the, it's it's just about hanging on for them, isn't it? I mean, look, they've never been in that position before. Their players, I mean, like, you when you watch the highlights, they do look like they're shitting themselves going into that. Like, they all yeah. look really nervous. And so, they, you know, to, to just... I mean, once you've won it, you've won it, haven't you? It doesn't matter how you got there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Just thinking about Colin Hendry. He features in the Premier League documentary. Jerome Flynn would be pretty good at playing Colin Uh, Hendry. He would be very good at playing Colin Hendry, wouldn't he? What what a month for those two. He's aged pretty similarly. You know, Colin (laughs) Hendry. I think Jerome Flynn could do quite a convincing Colin Hendry. Robson Green would make a good Chris Sutton, maybe. I think that would... (laughs) If you were casting Blackburn. So this was a good month for uh, finals. Everton beat Man U 1-0, which was a good FA Cup final. I've got a fact about that game. Yeah. So Neville Southall wins the, when Neville Southall wins the FA Cup, that summer, a few weeks after, he go gets an MBE. Neville Southall gets his MBE from the Queen. The Queen says to him, what are you going to do now you're retired? Obviously, oh. he went on to play for another six years. <laughs> so the Queen thought Neville Southall looked so battered and old that surely this was his last hurrah. <laughs> Southall's think- always looked re- he always looked retired, didn't he? He always looked like I don't think he ever. He's one of those players that yeah. never really looked young. Do you know the Queen was trying going to give an MBE to Ludic McCloskey, but then it was pointed out to her that she never watched Match of the Day. She just watched games live on a Sunday. And they were like, he's not as good as you think, Mom. Ludo turned it down when he found out there weren't going to be sky cameras there. <laughs> it's just being covered by the BBC. Because he knew he'd just drop the medal. Um, Ajax beat AC Milan 1-0 in the Champions League final. Did you watch this? It's funny that like doing this exercise made me realise that I just didn't really think the Champions League was a big thing until about ninety seven, ninety eight. Yeah, it's weird that, isn't it? Like I, I didn't, I didn't watch this, and actually, it wasn't even in, on my radar. I did watch it, but you're right; it didn't matter in the same way. I just didn't think it was important. It English was just like a bit weren't... of a novelty, wasn't it? It certainly wasn't yeah. as important as the FA Cup. Fucking hell! Like the FA Cup was what mattered. Yeah, uh, yeah. Exactly. It wouldn't be like now the Champions League final. I don't really watch the FA Cup final these days, but I'd, I would no. now. I, I mean, I wouldn't make an appointment to watch it, but if I was in, I'd certainly watch the Champions League final, whoever was in it. Here's a test. Was anyone in your playground talking about Ajax versus AC Milan the day after the game? Like at school? Do you know, I remember, I think the following year, AC I don't know why I've got this phantom memory, but this is true. Ajax lost on penalties the following year. And I remember in PE the next day, we had a penalty shootout. And I remember Mr. Dinny, the PE teacher talking about the game the night before and no one knew what he was talking about. <laughs> he was like referencing like, oh, you're, 
This is like Clarence Seedorf or whoever it would have been that missed the IX penalties. And I vividly remember no one knowing what he was talking about. I don't know. You know, when you're like, I don't know why I've got that memory. Yeah. But for some reason, it just didn't matter. I had, I'd bought an IX shirt because we'd been on a school football trip to um, Amsterdam to take part in a football mm. tournament. It was our only ever foreign trip. And so I'd bought an IX shirt over there. And yet I... I wasn't invested in it. It was just like a novelty shirt. It was yeah. that, you know, that purple shirt with the weird design on it. It's a beautiful shirt. Oh, I still yeah. got it. Beautiful, nighty shirt. But like that to me was what Ajax was. It was just like the shirt and <laughs> yeah. it was Good kind brand. of quite an abstract thing. Yeah, it's it a great was, brand. My main memory of Ajax is this team was full of young players and suddenly there was suddenly this thing that we need to be creating young players like they do at Ajax. And then the main thing I remember is that Sonny Pike, a young English player, went over to play for the Ajax Youth Academy and became a bit of a celebrity in the UK. But that was it. That's the only real memory I've got of it. But, yeah, it didn't matter as much. UEFA Cup final, Palmer beat Juventus 2-1. Mad, mad this, on aggregate. Mad, two-legged final. Back in the day, everyone loved that stuff, didn't they? They loved having final replays. Yeah. You know, like, like, stuff like that. It was just like, everything took so long. There was no... <laughs> no no one was in a rush in the night. It was pre-TikTok, Parry. You can have your over Cup final over two legs pre-TikTok. Doesn't, doesn't that feel so alien now to have like a, the final replayed? It, it's madness, isn't it? You want to know you're going to the Imagine. game that day and someone will win. Yeah. I can't believe it took us like 25 years to figure this out. Are you saying there is something about modern football that's better than the yeah. past? Guys? Some things we've really sorted out. Some things we've really fixed. But I also loved I know that, that, that you'd get six you'd get infinite replays on an FA Cup tie. <laughs> so you'd get like five games between like Leeds and Arsenal or something in the fourth round. How it all how it always seemed to feel for me was if if the smaller team, if the underdog doesn't do it on the big day, yeah. they're never gonna do it in the replay. Totally agree, like, yeah. In the replay it's always like, well, obviously the big team's gonna win there. And it's like, yeah. you know, that it always seemed to be that way. It was no like because the occasion, it just feels like the occasion's gone and now it's just the way things are. That's how it always felt <laughs> yeah. in the replay. Totally. Yeah. And who who are the fans that are available if you live in the north? Suddenly you're coming back to Wembley on Tuesday. Like, you're there on the Saturday. You've only just like, got home. You've only just got home. And you've got to come back on Tuesday night to re-watch the FA Cup final. It's surreal. I remember the narrative around those replays, the sort of underdog versus a giant team. It was always, oh, well, now they've got that trip to Old Trafford. That they're financially secure oh, yeah. forever now. Like, it immediately yeah. became, oh, the revenue they'll make is 10 years yeah. of what they'd normally make somewhere else. Yeah. So there was always a feeling like, oh, we've won the lottery. We don't even need to win this this second game. And I do wonder whether that wasn't a, you know, a factor, whether they might have been more motivated for that return trip. Or like you said, it's yeah. sort of, they took their swing. And if it doesn't knock him out, then when he gets back up, it's like, oh, we're, we're done for here. <laughs> yeah. Totally. But also, like, the big the big teams never really know. Like, say if it's like, and here's a winger, he's also a milkman, uh, you know, and, like, like he takes everyone by surprise. Next Wednesday, you're going to know about him, aren't you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to be like, oh, watch out for that fucking milkman. He's quite tiny, actually. <laughs> <laughs> the, other, the other thing, like, in the 90s, if, the, if the, the, game, the finals are drawn on the Saturday and they're doing a replay on the Tuesday, how do they sort out the tickets and stuff like that? Like, in the 90s? Yeah, it yeah. must be an absolute nightmare. Posting them do out. You think that, like, do you think? Do you think you go to the ticket office on your way out? They of must have like, to do that. 
I don't know. How do they do it? Do you get your seat in... Like, do you get first dibs on your seat again? If you were there, yeah. I haven't got a clue. If you stay in your seat, you get to keep it. (laughs) (laughs) But but one thing I I heard recently was like... uh, Was it 97 where it was United and Newcastle? They nearly had a Premier League playoff because they they were so tight going into the last games. They looked like they were going to end up on the exact same points. Yeah, six moves. And and I read that they printed the the tickets like a week in advance, and so the tickets all existed for this Premier League um, playoff. Oh my word! This is a do I remember this right? If anyone has any information on this, I've read. I've read that. I've seen a picture of it somewhere. So even ticket processing, even like it's printing ninety thousand tickets. How do they turn that stuff around? Yeah. We'd love to hear from you on this. Yeah. On this, yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. we want to know how did it work. Um, <laughs> there was another. We we weren't into the Champions League final, the UEFA Cup final, or even it wasn't a classic FA Cup final. But the other iconic moment of the May was Zaragoza beating Arsenal two one in the Cup Winners Cup final, which I vividly remember. I did watch. Yeah, I did watch. This. I did watch this. Well, this is the one that the next day in the playground, everyone was trying it, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. You couldn't get a decent pass in the playground for about three months after this because every cunt was trying it from the halfway line. It was infuriating. I would go so far as to say, I don't think I'd ever seen a halfway line goal at that point. I think that was the first... I didn't even think about it as a possibility until that he happened. Also, if I remember it rightly, he doesn't... You know, like David Beckham, as time, he looks up and he... Like yeah. shoots, and he puts it out in front of him and shoots. He like hits it on a like a half volley with his body twit. Like it's and he not slices like... it, and it's big, isn't it? It go, it goes, it's a re, it goes high, <laughs> like yeah. it goes up first, like 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 it's it's a huge punt basically. He's almost like a defender clearing a corner. Yeah, yeah. he just yeah. slashes at it. Extraordinary. It's right at the last minute as well, isn't it? It's like the buzzer counting down an NBA, and someone's just gone yeah. right yeah. back of court. It's that. It's not like you're right. It's not like Beckham. It's like someone just lugging the ball to see what happens. Well, we're heading for a penalty shootout. Naeem, or are we? Can you believe what you've seen? Naeem! Once of Spurs has taken the Cup Winners' Cup, surely from Arsenal for Zaragoza. Seaman went back and back, but it's in, and Arsenal are beaten. Imagine being a Zaragoza fan. If that happened in the history of your club, that's the greatest thing that's ever happened, right? You're having a statue of that, aren't you? You've got to have a statue yeah. of that. What are you having a statue of? Him lashing at it or Seaman just two like... Two statues. <laughs> two statues, yeah. <laughs> it's two statues the same distance apart. Oh, now you're yeah. hitting it and then you go 50 yards and there's Seaman just reclining. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love that. <laughs> Do you know what was weird about the Naeem thing as well? was in, in the match of the day, goal of the season countdown... It was in there. Yeah, it, it went straight in as the number one, as the May option. But when are they doing that? But like that's that, that's like they've rewritten the rule books because yeah. it's surely it's got to be a league goal. Yeah, yeah, or an FA Cup. They'd wow. include an FA Cup, wouldn't they? Well, I, I, that's how I remember it. I might be wrong, but I, I seem to remember it being a contender for. It was. It was a contender goal of the for season. Match of the goal of the season that month. It's like they'd gone. This is so iconic. It's got to make the shortlist. And, and Naeem at that point's thinking, I've won. And then he doesn't win. And he's like, well, what's the point of putting it in the list? <laughs> there's also there's also an incredible bit of commentary, I think, if I remember it rightly, where doesn't the commentator say, 
former Tottenham player Naeem, like almost like immediately, <laughs> like to really turn the knife into Arsenal fans. It's just like as if you need more in that moment. <laughs> The former Tottenham man or something like I'm sure he referenced that. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Um, another big moment of this month and the reason it's been chosen is not only these games, but the last day of May, which is the beginning of the summer, I suppose, was the day that Rude Hullett signed for Chelsea on a free transfer, which felt like, I'd say that was the most, ex- that was the moment for me when it felt like all these exciting players were coming to the UK. This was the start. That felt mind-blowing, because Rude Hullet felt otherworldly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that was a superstar. But isn't it funny how they all just seemed to be coming to Chelsea, though, wasn't it? They had, like, Zola, all these exotic foreigners. Well, do you think that's because of the London thing? Like, do you think it is like a King's Road, you get to live in London, in West London, all that kind of... Because wasn't Stamford Bridge, Bridge still like... a shithole in 1995? Like, wasn't yeah, it, didn't was. they still have like yeah, a painting on the crowd and shit like that? Like, I think I went. It was ter- I actually went to Stamford Bridge in this season, and I remember it was the first time I'd been to a stadium, and it was just like it was just concrete, and it was like a chalk mark, and like you stick your bum on this cold <laughs> slab here. Like, it was no seats. Yeah. It was just oh, like what? you just con- sat on. The- yeah, it was just concrete. I'm, just, I'm sure well, that's, that's not standing, a doorway, isn't it? No, it was just like it was like concrete. It was just like just concrete. There was no there was no pla- no seating thing. It was just like yeah, that's terracing. That's standing con- skull. Did you have to I sit? Mean, did you have to sit cross-legged? Like a school assembly. <laughs> it was all falling down. West Ham fans it used was. to sing Stamford Bridge is falling down. It was down. A, it was a shithole still. So yeah, it was terrible. But I saw one of Rude Hullet's first games because he played a, a friendly at Argyle, and it felt. I, I couldn't see a thing because, every, do you know what? Everyone stood up on the bloody concrete. That was the annoyance. <laughs> they didn't realise we were we sat down on it. But it felt so exciting that he joined the Premier League. So there there is an argument that, that was kind of the start of everything that then happened in the Premier League. Yeah. That's a seminal, you're right, that's a really seminal moment, isn't it? And then you get like Viali coming through like the years following. And um, I think the other thing we should cover is what it was like as an England fan at that point. And um, so this was, this month, England chose their squad for their June friendlies, which was a, mu- a year before Euro 96. And they played Japan, Sweden and Brazil, all in the UK. Do you remember any of these games? Umbro Cup. Was it the Umbro Cup? I'm pretty sure that's the I Umbro Cup. I think it Cup. was the Umbro Cup. I think you're right it was the Umbro Cup, actually. I think I, w- I, think I was at one of these. I think I went to England, Were Brazil. You? Did you? I think so, yeah. It is confirmed. It was the Umbro Cup. My dad was like a deputy head at a special needs school and Mm. he would use that connection to take his kids who were all kind of like, I'd say between the ages of 11 and 14, but like some were interested in football, but some weren't. He just used, he'd say, come on kids, we're going to go to Wembley. Uh, It'd always be around the time of one of our birthdays. So like for our birthday, we'd get to go to Wembley to watch an England game, but it'd be on the back of dad just taking a school minibus down and you know I'd be I'd be listed as a helper and we'd go in with the kids and I'd push one in and then we'd get to go to Wembley get to go to Twickenham loads of stuff like that so I think it was one of my dad's school trips to to go and see England Brazil yeah that Brazil game uh, Janinho scored a free kick I think so I was really and that was kind of the first time people have heard of him and that was the reason why it was so exciting when he signed for Middlesbrough oh of course yeah because that's what I was going to say it was Chelsea or Middlesbrough started making all those big signings didn't they so I think Middlesbrough came up that season and they signed Janinho 
and it was because he'd played well for Brazil against England, everyone presumed he was the next Pele. England, meanwhile, during the Umbro Cup, fielded David Unsworth, Colin Cooper and John Scales at various <laughs> points at centre-back. <laughs> It's absolutely astonishing, is it? We play a, I think we're playing a four at the back. Gary Neville, John Scales, Colin Cooper, Stuart Pearce against original Ronaldo. <laughs> <laughs> Colin Cooper had to mark the original Ronaldo. And John Scales. They could have, if they'd played well, they could have been going to Euro 96. That could have been our back four for Euro 96. And let's be honest, if one of them had played well, just saying... Say Colin Cooper plays really well there. Cements his place in the team. <laughs> Suddenly he's taking the sixth penalty, isn't he? Against Germany in the semi-final. Because that's the role that went to Gareth Southgate. <laughs> Suddenly Colin Cooper is the manager against Italy in the final of Euro 2020. <laughs> Suddenly it could have all worked out differently. It's a sliding doors moment where does Colin Cooper make the right changes to hold on to the 1-0 lead against Italy in the final? <laughs> Do you think... All these things considered, how do you view this as an important month? I mean, I think it's an iconic month, all things told. What do you think, Michael? Well, I think objectively, there's so much that went on. It is a very, very strong month. But for me personally, as a Manchester United fan, it's, you know, I'm going to go in first and say it was a two out of ten. Oh, that's unfair. We lost, we lost, we lost the league on the last day of the season, despite dominating that game. We then went on to lose in the FA Cup final against an inferior Everton team. So, for me personally, this is this is a really, really bad month. But this is the month of Manu Blackburn final day. Naeem scoring from the halfway line and Rude Hullet signing for Chelsea. Objectively, it's an eight out of ten. But you know, my heart on my sleeve, I did not enjoy this month. I'm go- I'm going to outweigh that. I'm glad you went first because I can outweigh it. But I'm going to give it a nine because I feel like I don't feel like there's going to be many months that match up to this in terms of pure drama and iconic moments. Look at how how many last games of the seasons really mattered and like did like united the country. Obviously against Manchester United, but that's like. You know, because so many of the seasons were totally United agree. winning again or United wrapping it up a couple of months before well, the end of the season. Like, it, there aren't many where you get that last day drama and the underdogs won. It's, like, it's one of the great months of the Premier League and therefore of, of 90s football. I couldn't agree more. With, couldn't agree with more with Parry. I mean, this is this is just why I, I love 90s football and loved West Ham. Just like pulling out days like this, defeating the, you know, the glorious Manchester United, giving the title to Blackburn. What a story. A great month. I'm going to give it 9 out of 10. What? 9 out of 10 for Scar. What are you giving it, Parry? 9 out of 10 for me as well. See, if those were the scores from the st- four Strictly judges, the person that gave two would be sacked. Craig, you never have that kind of English. You'd be getting Craig. It's Craig Hallward. Do you know what? You're absolutely right. That's. I've been too harsh there. I'm. I'm going to upgrade in. In for fairness, I'm going to upgrade to a five. I can't go. I can't. I can't go any higher than that because the trauma of me sat alone watching match of the day slumping into that chair. That those scars are still there. There we go. It's a thirty-two. Unchained melody coming on the radio. The full-time whistle blows. Unchained melody starts up. Oh, it's bleak. It's bleak. Michael, were you the person that kept it at number one because you were repeatedly buying it because you were so depressed? 32, that does make it. I mean, we've only had two entries so far, but that does currently make it the leader for the greatest month of football of the 90s. Tom Parry, thank you. I hope you enjoyed your journey back. Oh, always. Total pleasure, guys. Cheers, mate. 
We will see you soon. That was Tom Parry, absolutely um, brilliant. I thoroughly enjoyed that journey back there. It's great, isn't it? You just disappear into the month. I loved it. Yeah, love it. Great memories. Great memories. Um, quick quiz before we go. Yeah, why not? Let's do it. It's starting eleven to play us out. I want you to both choose players that have scored. This isn't just a nineties quiz, but it is off that um thing. Players that have scored twenty goals in the Premier League era. Michael, do you want to start? Alan Shearer. Thought you would. And I can tell you that, yes, he has done that five times. Five times. Andy Cole. Andy Cole. Yes, he did. He scored 21 goals in 94-95. The only time he did it. Michael? Uh, Dwight York. Dwight York. Yes, he scored uh, 20 goals in 99-2000. Robbie Fowler. Robbie Fowler, of course. 28 goals, 95, 96. 25 goals, 94, 95. Uh, I think it was just in the 90s, but Kevin Phillips. Kevin Phillips. 30 goals in 99, 2000. That is astonishing. Kevin Phillips, of course. Um, 20 goals in a season. What about uh, Stan Collymore? Yes, he scored 22 goals in 94, 95 for Nottingham Forest. Uh, now I'm struggling. I think now, now it begins. There's a lot of players that are sort of around that. We're just going to stick to the 90s, I think. Okay, uh, Les Ferdinand. Yes. Ah, Les Ferdinand scored 20 goals in the 92-93 season, the first season of the Premier League. Ian Wright. Yes, 23 goals, 93-94. I'm going to tell you now, if we're sticking to the 90s, which we are, there are... Four players left. Five players left. Okay. I know this one because it was part of a quiz question from one of our quizzes, but Peter Beardsley did it. Yes, wow. he scored 21 in 93-94. Uh, this is a slight gamble. Chris Sutton. Yes, scored 25 in 93-94. Wow. I'm desperate now. Okay, Matt Letizia. Nah. Yeah, correct. What? 25 goals. 25 goals from midfield, more or less, 93-94. Bloody hell. Oh, I can't even think now. Um, Dion Dublin? Oh, I didn't. He didn't get to twenty. I don't think. No, he was, he was shared top scorer that eighteen. There was like in ninety-seven, ninety-eight yeah. with eighteen, but he got it wrong. Uh, Michael to win it, or did you go first? Uh, you went first. You've won it. You've, you've won, won it. Do you I want missed. the ones you didn't get? Did anyone have Teddy Sheringham? Twenty-two goals in ninety-two, ninety-three. I did think about him, but I just don't remember him scoring a lot in a single season. And ninety-four, ninety-five. Jurgen Klinsmann, twenty goals. There we go. Michael, would you like to end with uh, "Unchanged Melody" by Robson and Jerome? <laughs> don't want to push it on you, but why the devil not? <laughs> Thank you very much, Chris. Would you like to end? We'll be back next week. Until then, Robbie Slater. See you later.
This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. 